California's mega drought pushes water conservation efforts. Here we are again, uh, and we will need to proceed uh, with the lessons learned from the last drought. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Financial pressure builds on small rental owners. September we didn't get rent, October we didn't, November, December, January, February, March. March. So that's $28,000 in just one county. And we'll have a roundup of this weekend's art scene in the weekend preview, plus a deep dive into this week's headlines on the roundtable. That's ahead on Midday Edition. First, the news. Water conservation is the focus as drought persists and small landlords face economic pressures. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. It's Friday, July 9th. Today, we are dealing with dry heat and flex alerts, while much of the state faces a mega drought. Now, Governor Gavin Newsom is calling on all Californians to voluntarily cut back their water use by 15 percent. The sober reality is such uh, that here we are again, uh, and we will need to proceed uh, with the lessons learned from the last drought, uh, but with the benefits uh, of those lessons now and the resources uh, that we have not uh, been afforded in the past. So with- Joining me to talk about what this means for San Diegans is Sandy Curl, General Manager of the San Diego. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation. And that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. County Water Authority. Sandy, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you say our region is, quote, drought safe because of taxpayer investments in water supply and long-term planning. What can conserving water here do to help the rest of the state? Well, you know, here in San Diego County, we use about 50% less water than we did in 1990. So our region has very much taken on the conservation ethic. Um, I think um, additional savings in water will hopefully uh, create some um, additional resources in the state um, so that hopefully we get to a wetter winter and spring uh, next year. Mm. And so what are some of the ways we can do that? So um, with uh, San Diego County, we've done a lot of conservation. I think now it's really focusing on some of those um, smaller increments, paying um, attention to the little things, uh, making sure you're turning the water off when you're brushing your teeth or uh, shaving, Um, you're doing full loads of laundry, uh, full loads of dishes, 
making sure that there's no leaks in your irrigation. And if there is, get those resolved very quickly. You know, I mean, and specifically, Governor Newsom is asking everyone to cut their consumption of water by 15 percent. What does a 15 percent reduction look like for the average user? Um, So for the average user, it really means um, being able to, um, again, focus on those um, small increments um, in their residential use um, to make sure that they're um, really minimizing the amount of water that they're using. But again, I want to emphasize that this region has really taken on conservation um, wholeheartedly and much of the conservation is very hardened at this point. You know, if all residential users in San Diego County do cut back 15%, what would be the impact of that on conservation here and in the state? So if the users here in San Diego cut back 15%, um, it would mean that we would have additional water um, available. We have sufficient supplies to serve the region, even in the second very dry year because of the investments we've made. Um, both through the Carlsbad desalination plant, uh, the extraordinary conservation already, the um, agreements with Imperial Irrigation District to get conserved water from the Colorado River. Um, So we've really um, put ourselves in a position that we have sufficient supplies. So any savings that we do um, would provide additional water into storage. or an opportunity to assist the state in other areas where there are challenges. But are residential water users the biggest consumers in the county? And, and if not, who is? They are. Where, uh, residential use is about 66% of the water use uh, in the county and the next most significant um, at about um, 16% is the uh, industrial commercial users. Hmm. And how will the Water Authority work with other state water agencies to come up with strategies to address the water shortage? And what could that look like? Um, That's a really great question. So I've been in conversations with uh, the general manager at Metropolitan Water District, who is brand new. Uh, His name is Adele Hodge-Khalil. And we've had conversations, also had a conversation this morning with the governor's office, offering up some solutions to assist uh, statewide with some of the resources that we have. So I think we're going to be working hand in hand collaboratively because it really is about um, uh, one state um, and making sure that the state, every area of the state is taken care of. If we have tools and Met has tools that can assist, we want to do that. I've been speaking with Sandy Curl, General Manager of the San Diego County Water Authority. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Seven million tenants across the country are behind on rent more than a year into the COVID-19 crisis, and many small landlords are struggling to pay their bills as well. As CAP Radio's Chris Nichols reports, the economic pressures are rising on these mom-and-pop rental owners. Before the pandemic, Ravi Kalan and her husband Raja Jagadeesan 
owned six rental properties, including some duplexes in Sacramento and the Bay Area. So we have a room here that you can look at. Um, and is this one rented out yet? Or? It, it, it is. Okay. They say their goal is to provide housing the community can afford. But after the economy shut down, four of their nine tenants stopped paying rent entirely. September, we didn't get rent. October, we didn't. November, December, January, February. March. March. So that's $28,000 in just one county. Without this revenue, the couple says they used personal savings to pay for repairs, property taxes, and their mortgages. But Jagadeesan says that approach just isn't sustainable. If we want to provide clean, safe housing for people, I mean, we need to at least make the, the numbers work out. More than a year into the pandemic, the bills are continuing to pile up for small landlords who own nearly half the rental units in America and often provide housing that's affordable for middle and lower income renters. But as of this month, landlords still can't ask courts to remove tenants who aren't paying. That's because the federal government recently extended its eviction moratorium through the end of July. California continued its eviction ban through the end of September. But many renters can apply for 100% back rent, which will ease the situation somewhat. What do we want? No eviction! When do we want it? Now! At rallies like this one in Sacramento this spring, tenant advocates pushed for the bans to stay in place. They say they're needed because just a fraction of the billions of dollars in state and federal rent relief has gone out to those affected by COVID-19. But economists say the eviction ban puts a huge weight on small landlords, especially those whose rental income has dried up. Given the red-hot real estate market, they say some might just sell and get out of the rental business altogether. Homes are selling very quickly, almost no matter what condition they're in. That's Zillow senior economist Jeff Tucker. And therefore, that is a tempting window of opportunity, especially for a small-time landlord, uh, to cash out and sell that home. Those sales are happening, but not to other mom and pop owners, says Russell Lowry, who heads the California Rental Housing Association, which represents landlords. We believe we're shifting the landlord mix from, from smaller to corporate. That shift could mean fewer entry-level rental options. Renter advocates like Shanti Singh of Tenants Together say they also want to avoid more corporate ownership which can be less forgiving to renters. We definitely don't want to see a further consolidation of property in the hands of corporate landlords. We have been fighting that. Back in Sacramento, small landlord Raja Jagadeesan says he and his wife ended up selling half their properties. He says they couldn't make the numbers work. You know, we're not getting any rent from property X, but we are bleeding money every month. And so then we have to make those hard decisions. Like, I think we have to sell. And that happened not once, not twice, but three times. He says one went to a young couple who planned to live at the home, taking it off the rental market. Another went to an investor who Jagadeesan says will likely slap some paint on it and then raise the rent. In Sacramento, I'm Chris Nichols. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today 
just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend in the arts, the culmination of a pandemic-era program from the city's Commission for Arts and Culture, live performances of a haunting dance production, an outdoor music, art, and food festival in Oceanside, San Diego Pride kicks off, and closing weekend of a very timely virtual play. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so first big news in the local contemporary art world. Uh, Tell us about San Diego Practice. Yeah, this is from the City of San Diego's Commission for Art and Culture. It was part of a 1.25 million relief effort for artists. Um, It took place last April, and they started buying new art for the Civic Art Collection. It's really nice to finally be able to see these works starting this weekend. There's about 100 pieces from 89 regional artists, and the curators have split them up across two sites, two galleries. So it'll be at Bread and Salt in Logan Heights and San Diego Art Institute in Balboa Park. And there's a really cool mixture of big names we know, like Manuelita Brown, Jean Lowe, Hugo Crossway, Melissa Walter, Bhavna Mehta, but also a lot of emerging artists and people that are newer to the scene. It all runs from Saturday through September 5th, and then all these works will go to their various homes, whether permanent or semi-permanent. They're gonna be in public institutions or parks or libraries. So this is pretty much our last chance to see them all in one place like this. And the details are Saturday evening, they're doing a two-part reception. So you can start at SDAI from 4 to 6 p.m. That's in Balboa Park. And then you can head over to Bread and Salt from 6 to 8 p.m. And while you're at Bread and Salt, there's another exhibition opening on the premises, a Cristobal Gracia's A Money Laundering Pond, which is also a painting, but it is not a painting of a pond, which wins the title award for the week. Uh, He is from Mexico City, and he built this installation where he constructs a kind of wishing well out of these glittery white rocks and sand all glued together, and then he fills it with hot sauce, and that all opens at 5 o'clock. And also right there, adjacent to Bread and Salt, is a brand new photography exhibit from um, photographs from the Sea of Cortez, and that's by Angelica Escoto, and that's at the Athenaeum Art Center. That also opens at five. So right there, there's basically four art things you can do in one evening. That alone would pack the weekend. (laughs) The SD Practice Exhibition will open on Saturday at San Diego Art Institute at 4 p.m. And then at Bread and Salt at 6 p.m. The Rosenbox Dance Company has an intriguing live show this weekend. Tell us about the Ghost Light Masquerade. Yeah, the this contemporary dance company, they really crushed the virtual stuff throughout the pandemic. And they're kind of borrowing from that ingenuity in these live performances that they're going to do this weekend. It's called Ghost Light Masquerade, and it's in the outdoor space at Liberty Station. 
And it's not like you'll be passively sitting down and watching dancers on a stage. They're more like these smaller vignettes that you stumble upon and discover. It's all about the idea of superstitions and hauntings in the theater world. They'll also be doing virtual performances of this later in the month, um, starting July 23rd. And you can plan ahead if that's what you want to do to get the special goodies sent to you in advance, including a cocktail kit and a personal VR headset. But in the meanwhile, it's live this weekend. And live performances of Ghostlight Masquerade take place at Liberty Station tonight and Saturday at 8 p.m. Uh, it's closing weekend for the virtual production of playwright Lauren Gunderson's new play, The Catastrophist. Uh, tell us about this play and how we can stream it. Yeah, this is a new and very timely work by the prolific playwright Lauren Gunderson who happens to be married to a virologist, Nathan Wolf. Um, he tracks viral pandemics. So this is a virtual play about him, written during the pandemic, about pandemics, and about playwriting. So it's all very meta. And the character is even aware of the play unfolding. So it's all really amazingly of the moment. Here's a little clip. I should explain. My wife is a writer. She's writing, I think, this? Just maybe. Every now and then with a good answer, you get to discover something true. There is, right now, out there, building capacity through the natural trial and error of any evolution, something is evolving right now into something that will be ready for us. Will we be ready for it? And the San Diego Rep presents a virtual production of The Catastrophist with streaming tickets available to purchase through Sunday. Pride mostly takes place next week, but on Saturday you can kick things off with a hybrid version of SheFest, which is the annual program especially for San Diego's LGBTQ plus women and non-binary folk. How can we join in? Yeah, so it runs virtually first at 11 a.m. with a live stream um, on the SheFest Facebook page. They're going to have history, zine making, trivia, music, and even a segment on how to socialize again post-COVID. And then the in-person stuff kicks off at the Pride Flag in Hillcrest at 1 o'clock with a DJ set. And then there's going to be a performance from Evan Diamond at 2 and tons more throughout the afternoon, including Drag King shows later on. There'll also be trivia and scavenger hunts. It's a really great way to kick off Pride. SheFest takes place in person Saturday from 1 to 6 p.m. at the Pride Flag in Hillcrest and virtually from 11 to 2 p.m. An event on Sunday in Oceanside features music, art, tarot readings, and craft food and drink. Tell us a little bit about the Hill Street Country Club's High Tea. Yeah, so this is a family-friendly fundraising event. There'll be outdoor music, picnic blanket style, on a golf course setting. There'll be vegan soul food as well as a take on high tea cuisine. Musical performances include a set from Chilita Vinyl Club, The Renters, T-Rexican, Irene, and headlining is The Sacred Souls. But what's really special about this is how essential the Hill Street Country Club has been to the art and culture scene across the entire region, but especially in North County. We talked to cultural strategist Andrea Angie Chandler last week to discuss this, and here's what she said. 
For the last nine years, they've used their gallery space to advocate for social justice and equity long before it was trending. Um, And they really wanted to be thoughtful about how they showed up in the fundraising space. They're using the exhibit and the opportunity to hold space for other artists, especially San Diego's own The Sacred Souls, which had a major, major splash onto the music scene in 2020 to kind of give all of these artists a larger platform and then to also raise funds. They're joining up with a collective called Club Botica, which is a culinary and craft set of um, women working together. That was art strategist Andrea Chandler. And we're listening to It's Our Love by the Sacred Souls, who will perform Sunday at 4 p.m. at High Tea. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. Have a great weekend.